welcome you this morning. We, uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we are so glad that you're here. If you're a return visitor, we're glad that you're here as well, and uh, we just trust that you'll be blessed from the services. Um, I'm sure you've already been blessed from the singing. Just appreciate Ron and the worship team um, and what they have done already to lead us into worship, and then appreciate what Daryl said with the reading of God's Word, and, and then his comments were so on target with the direction that I'm going in, and he didn't know that, so... Um, so we have that same Holy Spirit working in each one of us, and so we're able to, to work together. Um, if you are visiting with us this morning, this will be a very different um, than what we normally do. I am normally very expository through a book of the Bible. This morning, I'm going to be very topical. And so I trust that you'll bear with me, and uh, I'm going to present some things that um, might challenge your heart or thinking. And if you wrestle with it, then I would invite you to come and talk with me at any point in time, and um, we can work through some things together. We want to remember that this weekend was also Veterans Day. Uh, Saturday, I think, was the um, actual Veterans Day, and then Friday was what it was celebrated. And so if there's any veterans that are here with us this morning, we want to thank you as well for your service to our country. And so if you would, if you are a veteran, if you would stand up. Do we have any Okay, here we go. We're getting a few. Yes. Thank you very much for your service to our country, and uh, we appreciate the privileges that you um, fought for, and uh, and that and that are continue, continuing to be fought for, even now as we speak. I want to read this. This was something that was going around on the internet the last few days, and it. It kind of celebrates veterans and, and, and what they do when they commit to the life, uh, military life, but also it flows well with the sermon. And so the, uh, it's kind of a quote that's going around the internet. It says, We're active, whether active duty, discharged, retired, or reserve, a veteran is someone who at one point in his life wrote a blank check made payable to the United States of America for the amount of up to and including his or, or her life. This is an honor, and there are too many people in this country today who no longer understand this truth. And we can say amen to that as uh, Americans, but more so um, as Christians. This is a very similar uh, commitment that we make as Christians, isn't it? that we uh, sign a blank check to the Lord and we tell him whatever he has for our life, we're willing to do it, and uh, even to the point of death. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, join me in Romans chapter number 8. I'll be in several different uh, portions of Scripture this morning, so you can journey with me. Um, I've for the most part, type them out so I might be uh, quicker than your fingers are. And if that's the case, just follow along and know that I'm reading directly from God's Word. Last Sunday, uh, as many of you are aware of, in Sutherland uh, Springs, Texas, 26 people were killed and 20 others were injured when a shooter entered a, a Baptist church and opened fire on the congregation. Um, I know that the age range, I believe there was one who died that was in the womb, and uh, then um, all different age ranges from there. 
So a number of people died in that, in that event, in that shooting. And that's not a, uh, what, what I would call an isolated event. Uh, statistics show that in 1999, 22 people were killed in similar events. In 2014, 74 people were killed in, sim- in similar events. In 2015, 77 people were killed in similar events. And in 2017, which we are right now, 67 people have been killed in faith-based uh, events or shootings. So this is not something that's new. It's something that we read about, we hear about on the news, and it seemingly is, is escalating um, every year. You'll remember in, on, on April 9th, 2015, you, we read about it, we saw it on the news, 21 Christian men in Libya were beheaded for, for their faith, for their relationship with Jesus Christ. They would not deny their faith. And again, this is not something new, but if you study history, you will find many thousands of martyrs uh, who gave up their lives. The disciples were men who gave up their lives for the cause of Christ. Jesus Christ obviously was the greatest of them all who gave up his life for, for a cause, for the truth, so that we might be saved, we might come to know him. This is something that's happening more and more. I, rem- I remember as a child, uh, you would hear preachers preach from the pulpit and they would say, what would you do if somebody walked into the back of the auditorium of your church and said, if you want to denounce the name of Christ, you can leave now, but if you choose to stay, we will take your life. I remember hearing that um, preached at youth camps and in churches because it was kind of a, a, a scenario that nobody thought was ever going to happen, right? And yet now we live in a generation where things like this are beginning to happen. And they're not beginning to happen on a small scale, but we're, we're seeing them on a regular basis. Some, some statistics. According to Fox News, Christians are the most persecuted people in the world Last year alone, 90,000 Christians were killed for their faith in the world. And that calculates into one Christian dying every six minutes. I read to you already some of the statistics that we, that we have in America. Again, 99, 22 people, and then all the way up to 77 in 2015 and 2017, 67, but we're still living in 2017 now. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter number 8, in verse 36, it says, As it is written, for your sake we have been killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Amen? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any else, anything else is in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The scripture tells us in 1 Peter 4 and verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange has happened to you. 1 John 3.13 tells us, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. These are things that are going to happen to Christians as we enter into, um, 
As we enter into a relationship with Christ and become a part of the church, uh, persecution and, and uh, um, hatred and those things are going to be a part of our life. They're going to be a part of our ministry. They're going to be a, a part of our walk with the Lord. And how we view these things is so significant. I, I wrote this down, and, and as I was listening this week to um, the newscasters and the newspapers and all the things, all these different outlets trying to describe what happened, the word that kept coming, uh, that kept kind of being at the forefront was all of these victims. And I thought to myself, and, the, and if you're taking notes, the title of my message is Victor, Not Victim. Victor, not victim. Let me describe for you or define what a victim is. A victim is a person who is harmed, injured, or killed as a result of a crime, accident, or other event or action. A person who is tricked or duped. And then the last definition is a a creature killed as a religious sacrifice. Someone who suffers or dies without a purpose or a cause. This is the world's perspective of what a victim is. And might I submit to you that if we're not careful, it is the world's perspective of what Christianity is. That when people die for Christianity, they are dying without a cause. They have no purpose. They see Christianity as something that is so insignificant that anyone who would die for their faith would be a victim. Some have even gone far enough are so far as to say that Jesus Christ was a victim. Listen, Jesus Christ was not a victim. Jesus Christ willingly gave up his life for us. John chapter number 10 says he laid down his life for us. He gave it up willingly. As as a matter of fact, the scripture says, this is why the Father loves me, that I laid down my life of my own accord. When we label those who have given their life up for the cause of Christ victims. We're minimizing the purpose for which they gave up their lives. We're minimizing the significance of of the reason for their sacrifice. It wasn't an accident. And it wasn't without purpose. On On the other hand, you have a victor. And I wrote beside Victor Valiant, somebody who is valiant. In the, in the scriptures, we're called, those who give their life up for the cause of Christ are called martyrs, right? We're called martyrs. Uh, uh, the Greek word is martus, and it's often translated in the New Testament, witness. In other words, it's the, the, the word martyr in the New Testament is, is literally the word uh, describing somebody who is a witness to something. They know something or they've seen something that is so significant and so important that it's worth giving up their lives for it. That's what Christianity is, folks. We, we have a message. We know a person that is so significant and so valuable that it's worth giving up our lives for it, isn't it? This is what we signed on to. It doesn't always seem pleasant. But this is how important Christ is. May I submit to you that what we're going to experience in the next several years is the separation of the wheat from the tares. 
We're going to see those who are really serious about the cause of Christ because they're going to know that by going to church, there's a chance that they might be harmed. I remember a story of a Middle Eastern missionary who told the story of the fact that there would be families who would, would get up on Sunday morning to send their children to church. They couldn't go themselves, but they would send their small children to church, and they would walk miles upon miles upon miles. And here's what the interesting thing was. Not a one of them did not consider the fact that their children may never come back again. They knew that there's a good chance that something was going to happen in that church on that Sunday that was going to keep their children from being able to return home. But you know something? The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that important. Isn't it? It is that important. It is that significant. The Bible says in Matthew 16 and verse 25, whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will find it. Philippians 1.29 says, for it, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but should also suffer for his sake. What I want us to see this morning, what I want us to look at, what I want us to unpack biblically is the fact that when somebody dies for the cause of Christ, they're not insignificant victims. They're very significant victors. They have, they have, they have moved us in the direction of getting closer to Christ, not getting further away. They have promoted and significantly um, exalted the value of Jesus Christ. And they are victorious. They are Winners in that process and not losers. I want to give you this morning, if you're taking notes, I want to give you about six or seven things very quickly. Reasons why we as Christians are never victims. Okay? Reason why we're never victims, especially in the case when we, or significantly and definitively in the case when we suffer for the cause of Christ. Let me give you these thoughts this morning, and we'll look at some scriptures. Number one, Christians are warned of persecution. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us as we contemplate the idea of becoming a Christian, the Bible tells us if you're going to become a Christian, if you're going to become a follower of Jesus Christ, you must understand that you're going to have to deny yourself, right? You're going to have to take up your cross, and then you can be a follower of Jesus Christ. In other words, a part of following Jesus Christ is going to come as a result of self-denial. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be hardship that you face. And as you deny yourself and take up your cross, which is always a picture of what? It's always a picture of dying. We, we're dying to ourselves. We deny ourselves. We die to ourselves. And then we become followers of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter number 14 and verse 28 tells us that if you're going to... to the implication is building a building, but the idea is the gospel. If you're going to become a follower of Jesus Christ, you better count the cost. You better determine what it's going to take, what it's going to cost you, what the, uh, the cost might be for becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, for, for following in his footsteps. The Bible tells us in Revelation 12 and verse 11, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. 
We are warned as we enter into this relationship with Christ, as we become Christians, as we mark ourselves with the person of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ, we are, we are warned, we are, ident- we, are, uh, um, we are told that we will suffer persecution. Not only do we count the cost in regards to being warned, but we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are, we are his, his students. We are... We are um, going to experience the things that he experienced. He tells us over and over again in the Gospels, he says, I've suffered these things, so you will suffer these things. Speaking to his disciples, John 15 and verse 20, the Bible says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. We will experience persecution as students or followers of Jesus Christ. That's really what we're called to, right? When we look at the life of Christ, we, we see somebody who suffered. He suffered for the benefit of others. He gave up his life as a sacrifice for the blessing of others. And he calls us to do the same thing. We should count the cost. We should be followers of the master. And then thirdly, in, in regards to being warned about persecution, we should expect it. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Matthew 10 says, Brother will rise against brother, or brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against their parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. We're warned that this is what the Christian life is going to be like. We've, we've, we've adopted the, the American mentality, the American idea that the Christian life is going to be easy. This is how we make our life better, right? This is how we get more. This is how we get ahead. This is not the Christian life that the Bible warns us about, that the Bible tells us to count the cost. It's going to cost something. As Darren said, as Daryl said, we We aren't living for what we have in this life, but we're living for what we're going to have in the next life. Christians are warned that persecution is going to come, and when we lock into it and we buy into it, we are making, putting a mark on ourselves for the world to hate us and ultimately to seek to destroy us. Christians are warned about persecution, number one. Number two, Christians are identified by persecution. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. When you think about the disciples, when you think about their lives and what's described about them and what's taught about them in Scripture, what comes to your mind? Riches and wealth and, 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 and everything going well for them? When you think about the life of Jesus Christ, the one whom we follow, right? The one that we pattern our life after. When you think about the life of Jesus Christ, is it about all the things in this life, him having everything that he wanted in this life? Or is it a life of suffering and difficulty and people not liking him and not following him and being falsely accused and being lied about, right? And dying a a, a death for sinners and he not sinning himself at all. Bearing, actually bearing the burden of everyone else's sins, him being free, completely free from sin. 
What you'll find in God's word is that every time you you find a, a disciple being described, it is a description of his suffering. It is a description of his hardship. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, it's no different. When Paul describes himself as a Christian, here's what he says. Verse 23, are they servants of Christ? He's going to describe himself as a servant of Christ. And here's what he says. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jewish and 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers in toil and in hardship. Through many a sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me from my anxiety for all the churches. And he says, For who is weak? I am not weak. Who is made to fall? But I am not indignant. Paul says at the end of that, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Paul's saying he was identified, he was marked by his suffering. That's what defined him as a Christian. He says in, I believe he says to Timothy, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter 2 says this in verse 20 and 21 For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, yet and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ Jesus also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. We're defined. We're identified by persecution. And not just identified by persecution, because there's a lot of persecution in the world today, but we're identified by how we respond to persecution. That's what makes us unique. It's not that we face persecution, but that we respond properly to persecution. Remember this about being identified by persecution. Christians are not the cause of persecution It's not something that we go out and try to find. It's something that finds us. Christians are not the cause of persecution. They're often the object of it. But what makes a Christian unique is that they're able to love through it. What did Jesus say when he was getting ready to to die in our place about all of the people who had nailed him there? What did he say about them? said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What did Stephen say in Acts chapter number 7 when they were stoning him? He said, Lord, do not hold this to their account. 
Yes, Christians are going to be persecuted. People are going to find a reason to persecute Christians. We don't have to look for it. We don't have to create it. By all means, let's not. But when it comes our way, let us respond to it in a Christian way, in a Christ-like way. And I think sometimes, folks, listen, I think sometimes our perspective of what's happening to us in that suffering is what determines how we respond to it. Do we see ourselves in that suffering as victors or do we see ourselves as victims? If you're a victim, you're going to fight for your you're going to fight for your rights. If this is what you have been called to, if this is what you have been placed on this earth for, right? That's what he says. Jesus says that you have been called to this. This is what we've been called to. This is what we've been stationed here for is that we can be different for the cause of Christ and the glory of the Father. Christians are identified by persecution. Number three, Christians are honored to be persecuted. Christians are honored to be persecuted. You say, Pastor John, how, how is that? Let me give you some, some scriptures here. Acts 5 and verse 41, the Bible says, Then they left the, the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name or for Christ's name. They counted it in an honor to suffer for the cause of Christ. Listen, the cause of Christ, the gospel, the, the significance of that made it, made, it, made it a valuable thing to be able to suffer for that. 1 Peter 4, 13 through 16. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad with his when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Matthew chapter number five in the Beatitudes says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And here it says the same thing, that we are blessed. Matthew 5, 11 through 12, blessed are those, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all, things of e all kinds of evil against you falsely on, on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Christians are honored to be persecuted for the cause of Christ. Next number. Christians are winning in persecution. Christians are winning in persecution. Let me, tell, let, me, let me read this passage of Scripture out of Exodus chapter number 1, speaking about the persecution that the Jewish people experienced at the hands of the Egyptians. Here's what it says. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Listen, the gospel's power, the gospel's significance, the gospel's impact is not found in all of the wonderful um, treasures and pleasures of this life. But the gospel's power is found in suffering. It's found in living our lives, at the, uh, living our lives for others. 
The gospel is spread. The gospel moves forward when we go through and experience suffering because it ultimately gives us an opportunity to live the gospel. Salvation goes forward, Romans 8, 36 and 37. I read it to you already. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And 2 Corinthians 4, 11 through 12 says this, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be magnified in our mortal bodies. So then, death is at work within us, but life is at work within you. Here's what Paul, Apostle Paul is saying is, is, is the more I go through suffering and persecution and experience hardship and pain, the more life is working in other people. Not physical life, but spiritual life. The gospel moves forward in persecution. Salvation moves forward in persecution. Sanctification moves forward in persecution. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, but God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hebrews 2 and verse 10, the Bible tells us that Christ Jesus was perfected through suffering. We are sanctified, we are set apart through suffering. Next of all, Christians are celebrated in persecution. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Acts chapter 7. Probably one of the most extraordinary pictures that, that, that I can find of this is Acts chapter number 7 as well as Hebrews chapter number 11, which we'll go to here in just a moment. This is the stoning of Stephen. The Bible says in verse 54, Now when they had heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And you could just stop there for a moment and, and just picture the extraordinary victory that Stephen is experiencing at the hand of great persecution. This is going to cost Stephen his earthly life. But folks, listen to me. That's not a loss to Stephen. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is not a defeat for a child of God. Passing from this world to the next is not losing. It is winning. Stephen looks up into heaven. He's getting ready to die. He sees the glory of God. He sees God in his full glory. He doesn't stop there. Because there's someone who's in heaven, and the Bible says, and, and he said, he says, and he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This is such a significant statement because Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, is never standing at the right hand of God. He's always sitting at the right hand of God. What is happening right now in Stephen's, in Stephen's stoning and crucifixion and sacrifice of himself is that the Son of God is celebrating 
that man's faith. There is something significant taking place when God the Son celebrates someone's faith. And this is where Hebrews 11, turn, turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 11. It's the same exact, it's the same picture that's taking place. You can, you can picture it in your mind, a, a, a large crowd of people watching a, a, a bunch of Christians on a, in a field and they're playing an athletic event and, and the athletic event is not with a football, but it's with faith. And the ultimate sacrifice is, is, is being made and the ultimate sacrifice in the, in the game of faith is to give up our lives for Christ. And some of us that means physically, but for others it just means giving up our lives daily for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Just note that. These are not men, these are women. There's no demarcation here of one sex is stronger than the other sex. This is like women are being giving up their lives for the cause of Christ. Men are giving up their life for the cause of Christ. They're all giving up their, their life for the cause of Christ. Others suffering mocking and, and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They, were, they went about in, in, in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of, of whom the world is not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Watch what he says in chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. You see, there's a huge stage of our faith. And there are those who are in heaven who are celebrating the faith that they're seeing being displayed from Christians. The victory that is in the faith being displayed through Christians. The salvation of others that is taking place because of the faith of Christians. Christians are celebrated in their persecution. In heaven, there is amazing celebration at the faith of God's people. Next, Christians are motivated by persecution. Philippians 1, verse 12 through 14, verse 20 through 26, and verse 29, you can turn there in your own time. The scripture talks about Paul and how that his chains, his persecution, the things that he went through were there to motivate the other believers to preach the gospel. That in their suffering and in their persecution, they would become more motivated to do the things of God and not less motivated to do the things of God. Folks, listen, the danger is this. If we don't view a situation like this the right way, guess what people are going to stop doing? If we don't view this right, people are going to stop going to church. The place that the Lord would have us to be, to learn and to grow and to be discipled, is going to be a place that people are not going to go. It is so important that we view this situation properly to understand the, 
victory that took place and the celebration that took place in heaven as, as God's 26 saints walked through the gates of heaven and were celebrated for their faith. And yes, we miss them and we mourn for them, but we don't mourn for them as victims. We mourn for them because we have lost them, but they are victorious in Christ. They win today. They didn't lose. And we've got to regain this mentality so the world doesn't see Christians as weak, but the world sees Christians as strong in Christ. That we have a purpose, we have a a heaven, we have an eternity to live for. And we might be motivated to serve the Lord. The last thing this morning, and I'm going to close with some quotes. Christians will be avenged in their persecution. Let me say this to you. It is never the heart of the Christian to seek revenge. It is the Lord's heart. The Lord will avenge his people. And it is the Lord's job and it is the Lord's heart to avenge his people. It is our job to love people. And if you want an example of it, all you have to do is look at Jesus Christ and Stephen and both of them loved the men who put them to death. It matters how we view these things. Romans 12 and verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And Hebrews 10, verse 30 and 31, For we know know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Listen, folks, the Lord will take care of it. We don't have to worry about it. Those people who commit these types of things, there's something wrong inside of them. There's a darkness there that's going to cost them eternally. They don't get to leave this earth and go to heaven forever. They get to leave this earth and go to hell forever. The Bible tells us that the Lord does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they would turn, they would repent of their ways and be saved. Their sacrifice is an eternal one. I'm going to read you a couple of quotes here. They're longer quotes. I want you to just listen and bear with me on these two fathers of the Christian faith. I want us to see this morning how in these types of things, as a, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, there is, there is victory. There, there is, a, there is a, a winning that takes place and not a losing. We're not like the world. The Apostle Paul says, we do not mourn like those who are in the world who have no hope. We have an extraordinary hope. Ignatius, one of the ancient fathers of the church, was born in Syria and brought up under the care of the Apostle Paul. About the year 67, he became Bishop of Antioch. In this important station, he continued about 40 years, both in honor and a safeguard to the Christian religion. Undaunted in the midst of very tempestuous times, 
and unmoved with the prospect of suffering a cruel death, he taught men to think little of this present life, to value and to love the good things that were to come, and never to be deterred from a course of piety and virtue by the fear of any temporal evils whatsoever, to oppose only meekness to anger, humility to boasting, and prayers to curses and reproaches. This excellent man was selected by the emperor Trajan as the subject. Get this, this excellent man, Ignatius, was, was selected by the emperor Trajan as a subject whose suffering might be proper to inspire terror and discouragement in the hearts of the Christians at Rome. He was condemned to death for his faith in Jesus Christ in order to be thrown among wild beasts to be devoured by them. This cruel sentence, far from weakening his attachment to the great cause he was espoused, excited thankfulness of heart that he had been counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ. I thank thee, O Lord, said he, that thou hast condescended thus to honor me with thy love and has thought me worthy with thy apostle Paul to be bound in chains. On his passage to Rome, he wrote a letter to his fellow Christians there to prepare them to ask, acquiesce, acquiesce in his suffering and to assist him with their prayers. Pray for me, he said, that God would give me both inward and outward strength, that I, might not, that I may not only say, that I might not only say, but do well. That I may not only be called a Christian, but be found one. Amen? Animated by the cheering prospect of the reward of his suffering, he said, Now indeed I begin, I be, now indeed I begin to be a disciple. I weigh neither visible nor invisible things in comparison with an interest in Christ Jesus. With the utmost Christian fortitude, he met the wild beast a sign for his destruction and triumphed in death. What a testimony, amen. Polycarp, an eminent Christian father, was born under the reign of Nero. Ignatius recommended the church of Antioch to be the, to the, to the care and superintendence of this zealous father, who appears to have been unwearied in his endeavors to preserve the peace of the church, and to promote piety and virtue among men. During the persecution which raged, raged in Smyrna in the year 167, the distinguished character of Polycarp attracted the attention of the enemies of Christianity. The general outcry was, let Polycarp be sought for. When he was taken before the proconsul, he was solicited to reproach Christ and save his own life. But with holy indignation, he nobly rep replied, Eighty and six years have I served Christ, who has never done me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my King and Savior? When he was brought to the stake, the executioner offered, as usual, to nail him to it. But he said, 
Let me alone as I am. He who has given me strength to come to the fire will also give me strength and patience to abide in it without having to be nailed to it. Part of his last prayer at his death was as follows. O God, the Father of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of thyself, O God of angels and powers, of every creature, and of all the just who live in thy presence, I thank thee that thou hast graciously gifted that thou hast graciously gifted this day and this hour to allot me a portion among the members of martyrs. O Lord, receive me and make me a companion of saints in the resurrection through the merits of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. I praise and adore thee, I praise and adore thee through thy beloved Son, to whom with thee and thy Holy Spirit be all honor and glory, both now and forever. Amen. I close with these two passages of Scripture. Philippians 1.23. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ be honored in my body whether by life or by death. And Revelation 2.10 says, Do not fear what you have to suffer about you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have invited us into your family, that you have sovereignly brought us and bought us for the price of your own son's blood. We thank you that you have received us into your family and then you have set us on a, a mission here in this life. And Lord, we understand that as representatives of Christ, we are going to suffer. And I pray that you would just give us hearts as the apostle Paul had to count it an honor to suffer for the cause of Christ. To see it, Lord, not as a defeat, but Lord God, to see it as a victory. I pray that you would work in each one of our hearts and you would do it by your grace and for your glory. And we'll give you the praise, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.